Welcome to Broad Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. Why did God the Father create Barah Ministries? The Father wants you to have a place to learn the truth about His Son, the King of Kings, the Messiah, the one the Father sent to rescue both Israel and all mankind from bondage to sin. Is Jesus Christ God? Is he the Jewish Messiah? Well, he seemed to think so. John chapter 4, verses 25 and 26 say this. The Samaritan woman at a well said to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming. Now, Samaritans and Jews didn't get along, and men and women didn't talk back in those times, so this was a really unusual interaction. The Samaritan woman at the well said to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ, that means the Messiah, And when that one comes, he will explain all things to us about what is to come. John 4, 26. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, I who speak to you am he. Yes, Jesus is Lord. He is God the Son, and he is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. And that's why we call him the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father provides a written account of Jesus' life, and it's called the Bible. It's also called the inerrant canon of Scripture. It's also called the Word of God. And it is the absolute truth. It contains no errors, and it contains no contradictions. The Apostle Peter encourages believers in Christ to follow the Bible's direction. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 say this, You, therefore, beloved, and beloved is a term that means you divinely loved believers in Christ, Knowing beforehand, pop that up, Denny. Knowing beforehand what is to come at the end of human history, be on your guard. What is coming at the end of human history? The destruction of the earth and the universe as we know it. That's what's coming. And your resurrection body will withstand the blast if you're a believer in Christ. So be on your guard so you aren't carried away by the error of unprincipled men. Those are false teachers. So you don't fall from your secure position in Christ through doubt. 2 Peter 3.18, instead, be diligent to keep on growing within the sphere of God's grace and keep on growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you've ever been to Disney World, there's a big geodesic dome at Disney World. And I always think of the sphere of grace to be that way, that there's this big geodesic dome around us And inside that dome is where we reside, protected by the Lord. 
And in that dome, the atmosphere is unconditional love and forgiveness and grace because that's the atmosphere, that's the culture that the Lord Jesus Christ set up for us. Knowing the Word of God is knowing Jesus' exact thinking. In the sphere of His grace exists an atmosphere of unconditional love and forgiveness. And God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world for a designated period of time. And I love talking to Christians about Satan, and I love seeing the look on their face when I talk about Satan, because most of them don't even believe that Satan exists, or they believe that Satan is the red epidermis pitchfork guy, instead of the most beautiful, most brilliant genius ever to come from the hand of God. But Satan is like a cockroach, who when he finds food in your house, invites all of his buddies to invade your house as well. When you give Satan an opening through sin, he invades your soul through false teachers with their false teaching, looking to wipe out the confidence you get from the word of God implanted. He seeks to replace the truth with fear, uncertainty, and doubt, doubting things like your salvation. The Apostle Paul warns us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, do not give the devil a single opportunity. If you give Satan an inch, he will take a mile, like my mom used to say, so reject his lies at every opportunity. Today's Bible lesson, what are you like when you've been wronged? What are you like when you've been wronged? I always have fun watching Survivor. And when somebody gets a vote, but they don't get voted out, their immediate focus turns to getting the person out who voted for them. And that's what most of us are like after we've been wronged. After someone you know has been wronged by another person, you've probably heard them say, I'll forgive them, but I won't forget. There was a time when I didn't think of this as forgiveness. Yet if the truth be told, how can human beings forget the scars of betrayal? The scars of a betrayal were still present on Jesus' resurrection body, yet Jesus chose to cancel the debt through his work on the cross. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, the Lord commands us to forgive this way as, uh, to forgive this way as well. You are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You are to forgive as your Heavenly Father forgives. So don't forget that when it's time to forgive somebody, you're forgiven too. Using God's power in our lives, we can effectively forgive. So let's begin our study of a very short biblical letter, Paul's letter to one of his best friends, Philemon, a letter that gives us an example of the power and the process of forgiveness. Today's lesson is an introduction to this very powerful letter. Did I miss a verse? No, I didn't. All right, let's hear some music. For a Christian, the sweetest sound in any language is the name Jesus, the one who is a master of forgiveness. John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 explains why his name is so special. It says, The unconditional love of God the Father was manifested in us believers in Jesus Christ. The unconditional love of God the Father is made clearly visible through us believers in Christ. That's what manifested means. 
in that the Father has sent his only begotten Son into the world. The Lord, God the Son, took on the form of Jesus, the Christ, 100% God and 100% human in one person forever. Why did he do it? So that we might live the resurrection life, eternal life, through our union with Christ. Well, here's June Murphy to explain the wonder of the Lord our God's name in her song, Come See Amen. Shame, 
from my past was nailed with Christ to the tree. Thank you, June. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Thank you, Father, for leading us to a new letter of study, Paul's letter to his friend Philemon. And thank you for the gift of God the Holy Spirit who will open our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears so we can see and hear the truth. We know that we're powerless to learn the Word of God without your divine power. And we're grateful that you gave us, God, the Holy Spirit, to teach us spiritual truths. Open our hearts as we study. Let the truth of the Word illuminate the areas of our lives which need mending through unconditional love, forgiveness, grace, and reconciliation. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, what are you like when you have been wronged? What are you like when you have been wronged? 
As we begin the study of a new biblical letter, questions read us into the context of the letter. And there are ten questions that I consider as a pastor when I'm starting a new letter, just to be able to get you into the context of what's going on in the letter. Because every biblical letter is written to address some problem that the first century church had. And lo and behold, it's 2,023 years later, and we're still having the exact same problems. So these questions will help you to take on your study. The first question is, who wrote the letter that we're about to study? The second question is, who is the letter directed to? The third question is, where do the people live who are receiving the letter? The fourth question is, what do we know about the author of the letter? Number five, when did the author write the letter? Number six, where was the author when he wrote the letter? Number seven, what was God's purpose in getting the author to write the letter? And that's one one of the things you need to know. All scripture is God-breathed. It wasn't just a bunch of guys sitting down and writing stuff uh, based on what they felt. It was God asking them to write specific things. Number eight, what does God want the author to communicate to the intended audience of the letter? Number nine, what is the main message of the letter? And number ten, what relevance does the letter have in our lives today? Now, just out of curiosity, if I ask you guys what the, what the main message of Colossians was, what would you say? <laughs> Love. That's great, Denny. You're fired. <laughs> I just turned into Donald Trump. <laughs> it's false teachers and false teaching. Beware of false teachers and false teaching. And that's something that we always <laughs> love. That's beautiful. You know what? That's, that's a pretty good answer for any of the letters. It certainly is underlying every one of them. But... So, these are questions that I want you to pay attention to. So, the letter to Philemon is written by the Apostle Paul, who is credited with writing 13 of the 27 New Testament letters. That's well over half of the New Testament. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Now, one of the things I want you to know, and you know, I, I, you know, as a teacher who has been studying the Bible for three plus decades, I always think that I'm being very clear to you and I, I'm always making sense. And then I'll handle one of your questions. And then one of your questions will let me know that I am the worst possible teacher on the planet. So I was talking to a friend this week, and you know, I was asking uh, who he thinks wrote the letter uh, to Philemon, and he thought that all of the titles of the letters were the writers of the letter, like that there was a guy named Romans. Yeah, no, I mean, there is a guy named Roman probably somewhere in Czechoslovakia, but Roman didn't write the letter. 
So Paul wrote 13 of these letters. I think what my question actually was, was how many letters did Paul write? And the answer was three, but it's 13. He wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books, and he was the apostle to the Gentiles, even though he was Jewish. And so he wrote these letters to address specific things. But those are the letters he wrote. And at the beginning of each of the letters Paul writes, he gives his epistolic signature, like in the letter we're about to study, Philemon, chapter 1, verse 1, which says this, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Do I have that in here? Yeah, I do. I just went past it, I think. No, you don't. There it is. All right. So... Philemon 1 1. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker. That's his apostolic signature. And in all of the letters he wrote, you'll see that he announces that he is the person who wrote it, which was a convention of how letters were written at the time. A lot of people think that Paul wrote the letter to Hebrews, but there's nothing in Hebrews that indicates that. Anybody indicates who wrote that letter, so we don't make that conclusion. And it's always fun at the beginning of every letter to start doing the research for these questions that I'll be sharing with you because you get every nut job on planet Earth positing their theories about who wrote what and when they wrote it. And I, I look on Facebook, there's a pastor out of Africa right now, and he always puts these posts on, and they're very legalistic posts about different things, and it's always this series of yagadas, and it just drives me absolutely crazy, and so, but it's life, and people would do so well to just look at life from God's perspective and stop trying to figure him out, because there's nothing to figure out. He's so crystal clear. Well, anyway, an epistle is a letter, and three of Paul's letters are known as the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. He wrote those letters to instruct pastors specifically on what some of the problems are that they would be having and what they ought to do. Four of Paul's letters are known as the prison epistles because Paul wrote them during his imprisonment in Rome. And those are Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. So who wrote the letter that we're about to study? Pop that up, Denny. Who wrote the letter we're about to study? Paul. Paul wrote the letter. <clears throat> All right, let's get to the second question uh, that we consider when we're studying a biblical lesson. It's who is the letter directed to? Well, the letter is, this letter is personal, this letter to Philemon, and it's directed to one of Paul's besties, Philemon. Philemon was a wealthy man who met Paul during his time in Ephesus. And Ephesus, uh, Paul was in Ephesus for three years, establishing the church at Ephesus. And Philemon became a believer in Christ and then decided, based on getting to know Paul, to host a church in his home in Colossae. His wife, Aphia, and his son, Archippus, 
also are mentioned in the letter, and that's because they were very big, uh, very instrumental in establishing that church at Colossae. Philemon's name means loving and affectionate. It also means kiss. And it was a perfectly appropriate name for him since it was a perfect description of his temperament. He was loving, he was affectionate, and he was generous. And he, he did anything he could for people. He was just a wonderful human being. Uh, his demise, he was stoned to death under the Roman Emperor Nero's watch by a Roman prefect, probably for nothing. But that's who the letter is directed to. Paul is writing the letter, and he's directing it to one of his best friends, Philemon. The third question, where do the people live who are receiving the letter? Where do the people live who are receiving this letter? They live in Colossae. And Colossae is about 100 miles inland from Ephesus, in modern-day Turkey. One of my friends, uh, the uh, former women's volleyball coach of Arizona State University Volleyball, just took a job with as the assistant coach of one of the best, uh, not one of the, the best volleyball coach, women's volleyball coach in the world. And so she's going to be living in Istanbul. And now I have an excuse to go to Turkey. And I can't wait, because Turkey is one of those places where you can stand in the middle of the street and you can put one foot in Asia and one foot in Europe. So it's very cool. And uh, Turkey is the place where people like playing backgammon. And I used to torture guys from Istanbul online. I would just crush them in backgammon and then tease them voraciously and there was nothing they could do about it. I'm I'm actually scared to go over to Turkey because I think I'm going to get beat up if they ever find out who I am probably going to get beaten up by a bunch of guys. So anyway, Colossae is about 100 miles inland from Ephesus, which is also in modern-day Turkey. And Colossae sits near the modern city of Honaz at the base of a mountain called Cadmus. So that's where the people live who are receiving the letter. They live in Colossae and the church in Philemon's home. Question four, what do we know about the author of the letter? Well, no one in human history, let me fix that, no one in human history is more in need of forgiveness than the Apostle Paul. It's so funny to me how people will put their pastor down for all of his faults and then study with the Apostle Paul, (laughs) because there is nothing that a pastor could do that were ever rival what the Apostle Paul did, and yet it's okay to study with the Apostle Paul. It's not okay to study with a pastor who's a human being. So here's how Paul describes himself in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. It says this, To me, Paul, the very least of all the saints, the very least of all the believers in Christ, he was not being self-effacing. He is the worst human being in human history. To me, Paul, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me by God. What grace? To preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. For a Jew to be saying that it is unfathomable, an unfathomable rich to preach to the Gentiles is shocking. 
because the Jews did not like the Gentiles. The Jews did not want the Gentiles to be saved. That's the truth. He describes himself again in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. He says this, I, Paul, thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. Because Jesus Christ considered me faithful, putting me into service. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. And even though I was formerly a blasphemer, that's somebody who is, who is smack-talking about somebody else. So he was always smack-talking about the way, which was Christians, and about Jesus Christ not being God. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor against believers in Christ and the church, in other words, a murderer, murdering men, women, and children, yet I was shown mercy. When he was an unbeliever, he's describing that he was not given what he deserved. He wasn't put in jail. He should have been stoned to death himself for murdering people and for standing by watching people be murdered. Yet I was shown mercy as an unbeliever, not being given what I deserve because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. 1 Timothy 1.14 And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and the unconditional love which are found by those in union with Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 1.15 it is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I was foremost of all. And once again, he's telling the truth. He was horrible. He was not being self-effacing here. Question five, when did the author write the letter? When did Paul write the letter. Paul wrote the letter in 62 AD, shortly after he finished the letter to the Colossians. He was about 60 years old at the time. He considered himself to be an old man. Question six, where was the author when he wrote the letter? Well, Paul wrote this letter to Philemon along with letters to the Colossians, the Ephesians, and the Philippians during his first imprisonment in Rome. He was imprisoned for starting a riot by teaching about the death and resurrection of the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus, the Christ. Now, there was no riot. It's just the Romans were so hypersensitive about crowd uprising that anybody whose voice raised above a level of a whisper, they would put in jail. The Romans were always concerned about uprisings, and they were quick to put rebellions down. They had one of the best armies in the history of mankind. And what they did was they imprisoned first and asked questions later. So when we return from the break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll finish the last four introductory questions, and then we'll review the 25 verses of the letter to get us ready for our in-depth study of the letter next week. Take a five-minute break. Quite. We'll all never get it right 
What do you like when you have been wronged? What do you like when you've been wronged? Well, because we don't always get to see the impact of the things we do for the Lord, often we think we don't make a difference. Today my prayer is that God the Holy Spirit helps you see who benefits from your generosity, that he keeps on creating in your hearts a generous spirit, and that he gives you a burning desire to provide your treasure as a habit to enable the distribution of the gospel message through this ministry so that it can be enjoyed by people all around the world. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17 says this, One who is gracious to a spiritually poor man lends to the Lord, and the Lord will repay him for his investment. Give so that others can receive. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. I'm blessed because this is a place that inspires hope. I've been thinking about hope a lot lately, and it's kind of one of those buzzwords that means a lot, but it's, it's hard to zero in on what it actually means. It just kind of encompasses a lot of different things. And, but anyway, Barah Ministries is a place that inspires hope because I feel like when you go through adversity in life and the trials of life, that's where hope can build. For instance, pastor had a dream as a child to be a pastor, and he had a dream to get through college and be an entrepreneur, and he had hope in that. And when he achieved those dreams, that inspired his hope, that hope builds. And so in, along the same lines, when you have adversity in your life, you overcome adversity in your life. For, for instance, going through those challenges of life, you build hope. When you get through something, when you get through a hard tournament, or you get through a hard paper, or you get through a hard client, you figure out, hey, I can do that. And you can use that in your back pocket as I've gotten through this before. I can get through harder. And it just builds and builds. And when you can work towards a positive change in your dream and, your, and while you're overcoming your adversity, that's the, that's the ultimate goal, right? You're going to change lives. You can get people to have a dream and to overcome adversity towards that dream and then also have the ability to work towards positive change. That's an amazing thing. And that's what we do at Barah because that's all supported here by God. The hope that we have is through faith in God. And that's something that we have. It's an immense gift that we need to share with the world. And we see in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now may the God and Father of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of God the Holy Spirit. So when you set your mind on a dream and you overcome adversity and you have positive change in your life, you don't have to be better. We just have to change. That's something that God inspires in us, and that's something that builds and helps us to build in others. And so when you come here and you, you give us hope, you give Barah Ministries hope by showing up, by listening online, by spreading the word, and that gives the world hope. So thank you for always helping us to pursue dreams, overcome adversity, and give people positive change in their lives. Thank you very much.
Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, what do you like when you've been wronged? What do you like when you've been wronged? Well, we continue our review of the questions that begin the study of a biblical letter at question seven. And the question is, what was God's purpose in getting the author to write the letter? Pop that up. What was God's purpose in getting the author to write the letter? Well, these two, the two themes of Paul's letter to Philemon are forgiveness and reconciliation. As you'll remember from last week, Onesimus, a slave from Colossae who belonged to Philemon, stole money, a big bag of gold, and ran away 1,200 miles to Rome. And what he was figuring is he could just go to Rome and get lost, because that's what people did back then. They would go to these big cities and get lost where no one could find them. Well, unfortunately, he didn't realize that God has a GPS on all of us, and God knows exactly where we are at all times. So God found him, and he was out living it up, and he got arrested. He ended up in a prison cell with the apostle Paul. Of course, God led him to Paul. That was not a coincidence. He is evangelized by Paul. In other words, Paul shared with him the gospel message, the good news of the salvation offer of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Onesimus becomes a new believer in Christ. So Paul and Onesimus became close. So Paul decides to use the new believer to deliver the letter to the Colossians to the very person from whom Onesimus was running away, the very person that Onesimus stole from. And one of the things you'll see as we listen to the verses is that Paul mentions Aphia, who was Philemon's wife, and Archippus, his son, because he knew that if he recommended that Philemon came back, that both of them would have some bitterness toward uh, toward Onesimus about the fact that he stole and about the fact that he ran away. And so Paul is kind of, you know, trying to smooth that over in advance. So in the letter to Philemon, Paul asks his friend a very simple request that is very hard to do. He asked him to live Christianity. He asked him to forgive Onesimus, and to be reconciled to him. Now, that's the significance of this letter. That's what God's purpose is in getting the author to write the letter so that we would study that and we would learn about forgiveness and reconciliation. Question eight, what does God want the author to communicate to the intended audience of the letter? Well, the intended audience is Philemon. What does God want Paul to communicate to Philemon. The letter communicates many things, but if we get to get to the right to the bottom of it, there's a message that the forgiven must forgive. Let me repeat that. The forgiven must forgive. I will tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is nothing in my flesh, there is nothing in my sin nature that wants to forgive anybody ever when I'm wronged. Amen? Now, I know that that, I'm the only one in here that's like that. Is that correct? (laughs) Thank you, Deacon Denny. Thank you. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm not the only one that's like that. I mean, we're all like that, right? We don't want to forgive. But luckily, as believers in Christ, we have the indwelling Trinity. And by using the power of the indwelling Trinity, we can direct forgiveness and unconditional love to people who have wronged us, just like the Lord did at the cross. So, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, the Lord commands us this way. He says, keep on being kind to one another. Notice the continuing action of the verb. Keep on being kind to one another. Keep on being tenderhearted. That is not hard-hearted. Keep on forgiving each other. Continuous action. Just as God the Father also, through the work of the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, has forgiven all of you. Question nine. What is the main message of the letter? Every letter has a main message. So what's the main message of the letter? There are many messages in the letter, but the primary message, the main message, seems to reveal the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to use those who appear useless. It's the power of the Lord to use those who appear useless. Now, that's the thing I don't understand about people who are legalistic with Christianity. They're always telling us, well, you've got to be a certain way and you've got to do this, 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 and this, and this, or God's not going to like you. Okay, well then, why, why would Paul, why would the Lord pick the worst person in human history to write half? of the mystery doctrine to the church age if there was this big requirement for us to be good? Why would he call King David a man, the kind of man I like, a man who's after all my heart, when King David committed adultery, conspiracy to murder and murder, and had sex with his best friend's wife and got her pregnant? If God needed all these cool people, why would he pick Moses, who killed a guy and buried him in the sand in Egypt? Why would he, why would he pick the people who ran? You know, uh, who's Jonah, the guy who, uh, he, he wanted Jonah to do something. Jonah ran away, and the Lord had Jonah uh, eat, eaten by a whale so he could be transported where he wanted him to go. The Lord, the only guy in the Bible that I don't want to meet is Daniel. Because I can't figure out anything that Daniel did wrong. Because Daniel was a baller. But all the rest of the people in the Bible were broken people. That's why we named this ministry Barah Ministries. It's the fifth word of the Bible. And it means to speak something into existence from nothing. Barah, Hebrew word, B-A-R-A which if you didn't have the H on it, people would call it Bera. So that's why I put the H on. But Bera, what does this ministry stand for? It's an opportunity for people to come here and through the word of God and through our almighty God, get transformed from nothings into something. That's why we play, I'm just a nobody. Want to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. That's why we play that song at, on the break, just to remind us over and over and over what God is able to do with nobodies. And now he's taking Onesimus as the next one. His name means useful. And, and the Lord loves giving people names 
that will be how they are in the future. But when he was an unbeliever, Onesimus was pretty much useless. God took someone who was useless and made that person useful. And that's a message to all the people in the world who are victim mentality people who think they can't do any better. Oh, well, I had this big thing in my life and nobody could ever forgive me for it and I can never grow or I, you know, it's just a bunch of crap. There was a, a football player, uh, what was his name? Chris, I think it was Chris Carter. And he was a drug addict. And Buddy Ryan, who was one of the famous coaches with the Chicago Bears, came up to him one day and he said, Chris, I'm going to have to cut you. He said, you got to get that drug thing worked out. Well, if I'm not mistaken, Chris Carter's in the Hall of Fame now. And Buddy Ryan always had things that he would say about people. And one of the things he said about Chris Carter is, all that guy does is catch touchdown passes. <laughs> Which is kind of funny when you think about it, because that's exactly what you want a wide receiver to do. But he turned his life around. He was a felon, and he turned his life around. Why? Because he wanted to. Because he knew the power of what the Lord Jesus Christ is able to do with people who are weak. And what most of us do is we just sit in our mediocre life thinking, I can't do any better than I am. Yeah, maybe you can't, but God can. How does God take a nobody out of the, the ghettos of the south side of Chicago and turn him into a pastor who's teaching the truth. That makes no sense. That didn't come from me. That came from what he's able to do. That's what the message is of this letter. Onesimus' name means useful, but that would not have described him as an unbeliever, yet he, just like the Apostle Paul, was made useful through God's divine power once he became a believer in Christ. The Lord uses broken people for his purposes. Thank God. Whenever I think about my life, and I think about all the things that have been accomplished in my life before this day, I don't think that's anything compared to what's coming up. Amen? It's the same with your life. What's happened up to now is nothing compared to what's coming up. The Lord is capable of making somethings out of us nothings. Bara. And then question 10. What relevance does the letter have in our lives today? What relevance does the letter have in our lives today? Well, forgiveness gives you control of your life because it does not require anything of others to be you. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is an intentional decision to let go of a resentment or anger for an offense, for a flaw, for a mistake, or for a betrayal perpetrated against you. It means to cancel a debt. It means to lessen the power of an act's grip on you by dismissing it without charge, even though the scar the act caused may never go away. That's powerful. That's what forgiveness is. See, when somebody wrongs us, we think they owe us something. And so we're always making up this list 
of what they owe us. Okay, well, first of all, if they betrayed you, do you honestly believe that they're going to now go through your list? Second of all, if they go through your list, after they get through with that list, you'll put up another list. And I've seen that happen in my own life where people are saying, well, you know, he would be just wonderful if he would just do this and this and this and this. So then I go do it. And then here comes the new list. But what does forgiveness do? Forgiveness doesn't have the reconciliation residing outside of yourself. When somebody betrays you, when somebody wrongs you, you can release them from the debt. You can forgive them. It doesn't mean you want to spend any time with them. It doesn't mean you want to be around them. It doesn't mean you're ever going to trust them again. Because sometimes in relationships, you've got to say enough is enough. But it does mean that you can, can release them from some fictionary, fictional payment that you think they owe you that when they do that, it's going to make you whole. When people do the, your list, it does not make you whole. The scar is still there, and it's not something that you forget about easily. All right, so now let's read the passage. This is one chapter, 25 verses, a personal letter from Paul to his bestie Philemon. And as you listen to this chapter, I want you to see the brilliant orchestration that Paul does to shape the mind of Philemon to accept Onesimus back into his household. Let's take a look. Philemon 1.1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker. Philemon 1.2. And to Aphia, his wife, and our sister in Christ, and to Achippus, Philemon's son and our fellow soldier, and to all those who meet in the church in your house, dear Philemon. Philemon 1.3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Philemon 1.4, I thank my God and Father, always making mention of you in my prayers. Philemon 1.5, because I hear of your unconditional love and I hear of the faith you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, toward all the believers in Christ. Philemon 1.6. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Philemon 1.7. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your unconditional love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. Philemon 1.8. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, I can twist your arm here. I can make you do what I'm about to say. Philemon 1.9. Yet for unconditional love's sake, I appeal to you instead. He's appealing to his free will. Since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, 60 years old, and he's, I'm, I'm old and feeble, but he's not far from true. He died at 63. Since I am such a person at Paul, the aged, and since I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus, Philemon 1.10, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. 
were becoming besties. Philemon's 1.11, who formerly was useless to you as a slave, but who is now useful both to you and to me. All right, so Philemon is in shock right now. It's like, wait a minute, you found Onesimus? Wait a minute, you're sending him back to me? Wait a minute, he's standing right in front of me right now and delivered this letter? Wait a minute, what, wait, what happened? Got to be pretty disoriented. Philemon 1.12. I have sent him back to you in person. And it is as if I'm sending you my very heart. In other words, we've gotten close. Philemon 1.13. Onesimus, whom I wish to keep with me as your replacement, he's saying, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. Philemon 1.14. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion. I didn't want to force you, even though I could have. I wanted this to be of your own free will. Philemon 1.15. For perhaps Onesimus was separated from you for a while for this very reason, that you would have him back forever, not only on earth, but in all eternity. Philemon 1.16. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother in Christ, especially dear to me, but how much dearer to you, both in the flesh and in union with the Lord. There's a message that when we survive crises with people, it strengthens the relationship. Let me repeat that because I don't think you heard me. When we survive crises with people, it can strengthen the relationship. Philemon 117. If then you regard me as a partner, first class condition if, and of course you do, accept Onesimus back into your home as you would accept me into your home. Philemon 118. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, and of course he has and he does, charge that to my account. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound at all familiar? Who does that sound like? Sounds like Jesus Christ. Because that's exactly what he did. God the Father was wronged, and he sent his son so that every wrong that you would ever commit could be charged to his account. Philemon 1.19 I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. And I will repay his debt. Not to mention that to you that you owe to me even your own self, your eternal future as well. There's Paul's Jewish part. He came out with a little Jewish guilt. Dog, you were an unbeliever when I met you, and now you're a believer in Christ, and you're going to heaven. You owe me. He threw a little Jewish guilt in there. I like that. Philemon 1.20. Yes, brother. Let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Philippians 1.21, Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I ask. What a generous spirit of the affectionate one, Philemon. Philippians 1.22, At the same time also, prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. 
In other words, get the guest house ready, because when I get out of here, first thing I'm doing is coming to see you. Philemon 123. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. Epaphras was the founder and pastor of the churches at Colossae, Laodicea, and Aeropolis. Philemon 124, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. They send you greetings as well. Philemon 125, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's the short, personal letter that we're going to study. It's Paul's letter to Philemon. When we are wronged, we are to extend the same forgiveness the Lord gave to us. It certainly is easier said than done. Well, we look forward to seeing how Paul handles this very delicate situation. The closing moments of today's lesson are dedicated to anyone anywhere who either is undecided or confused about having a relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants for you is that you make the most important decision of your life. Even if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you still matter to God. He created you, so you're one of his creatures. And he wants the highest and best for you. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation, as some accuse him of. Instead, he is patient toward unbelievers not wishing for any to perish in the lake of fire, but for all to come to repentance, which is a voluntary change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The bad news is that all of us are born in a state of unrighteousness. We are born physically alive and spiritually dead as ungodly, unrighteous unbelievers. We're born on Satan's team. It's not our fault but it is our circumstance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, the Bible says this, all in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. To God's enemy, Satan, the ruler of this world, you don't matter at all. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this, be of sober spirit, be on the alert, your adversary the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You are the someone on Satan's list. Satan despises you so much that he doesn't want you to be saved. He doesn't want you to be with God in heaven when you close your eyes in this life. Instead, he wants you to be with him in the lake of fire, and he wants you so badly that he sends false teachers and false teaching to deceive you. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, the Lord himself warns about this. He says, Beware of the false teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. When an animal is ravenous, it has an insatiable desire to tear you apart. So it is with false teachers who pretend to be for you, yet truly they want you to be twice the sons of hell that they are. The gospel message offers good news. To rescue you from the kingdom of death and darkness you were born into, 
inviting you to be born again to the spiritual life available in God's kingdom of light. You can choose to be on God's team. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 highlights Jesus' mission concerning you. It says, God the Father loved the world unconditionally, and he loved the world so much that he gave his uniquely born son, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be crucified on a cross so that whosoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. For God the Father did not send God the Son, the Lord, into the world to judge the world, but God the Father sent the Son into the world that the world might be saved through him. God wants you to respond positively to the good news of this gospel message so that he can save you. Well, who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. It says, I, the Apostle Paul, deliver to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. If a gospel message makes it sound like you have to work to get to heaven, it's a false gospel message from a false teacher. Romans chapter 11, verse 6 says this. It says you don't have to work to be saved. It says if salvation is by grace, a free gift from God, and of course it is, it is no longer on the basis of your works. Otherwise, grace as a free gift is no longer grace. That means grace is not free. Romans chapter 4, verse 4 says you can't work for salvation. Now to the one who works for salvation. His wage for his work is not credited to his account as a favor from the grace of God, but his wage is credited as what is due for the work. Your hardest work is not perfect enough to earn you a spot in heaven. So relax. You can get to heaven when you close your eyes in this life free of charge. Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household, who also believes. John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment, but he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. If you choose, you can spend eternity with God's enemy, Satan, in the lake of fire, or you can have the free gift of eternal life right this minute. Right where you sit right now, God can save you if you let him. You can tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the moment of eternal life for you. In John chapter 6, verse 37, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, says, All those that God the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me for salvation I absolutely will not cast out into the lake of fire. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 exhort you, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as the Lord, that he is God, and if you believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 10. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in the imputation of absolute righteousness by God, which is your admission ticket to heaven, and with the mouth a person confesses, admitting faith in Christ alone, resulting in salvation. Satan, the enemy of God, who is a very real being, 
not a concept, sends false teachers to give you a false gospel message. If you've ever had Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door, they are false teachers giving you a false gospel message. If you've ever had members of the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints come to your door, they are false teachers giving you a false gospel message. But they seem so sincere. So how do you know they're false teachers? Just ask them if they think Jesus Christ is God. You'll find out really quickly. Of course, for, unfortunately for you, both of those groups are inviting you to spend eternity with them in the lake of fire. Neither of these groups believes that Jesus Christ is God. I have family members who are a part of one of these religions, and despite my best efforts, even my family members don't want to hear the good news God is offering them through me. The lake of fire, that place we call hell, is real. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 12, the Lord says this, The sons of Satan's kingdom, and those are unbelievers, will be cast out into the outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Many parents are false teachers leading their children to an eternity in the lake of fire. Do you want to know if you're a good parent? Just ask yourself a simple question. Are you influencing your children to have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the sovereign God of the universe? He is the only way to get to heaven. According to John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the gospel message, the word of God. And I am the resurrection life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. There's no time to waste. God wants you. And if you want to go to heaven when you close your eyes in this life, simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Take his word for it concerning salvation. And the resurrection life is yours, free of charge. Well, let's close with some music. When we're in a jam, true friends will say, I've got you covered. Jesus is a true friend to all who embrace his friendship. King David, who needed his forgiveness, says in Psalm 32, verse 1, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Jesus has us covered. June Murphy says in her song, We're forgiven. We still make mistakes Yes, we all still sin But God sees perfection when he looks within Christ finished his work for you and me he died and rose to make us free no need to beg for forgiveness
guilt and shame. Jesus Christ paid the full penalty when he died upon that tree. No need to beg for forgiveness. We're forgiven, forgiven. God's not surprised by what we do. His unconditional love is tried and true. Drink from his cup. God has nothing, nothing against us. No need to beg for forgiveness. The price for sins has been paid. Let us pray. Well, grateful Heavenly Father for the privilege of studying your absolute truth 
the Word of God. Thank you, Father, for teaching us about forgiveness and reconciliation through Paul's letter to Philemon. And as we learn, help us to reflect on our relationships so that we notice where forgiveness is needed to release us from the prison of expectations. Teach us to handle forgiveness as you did. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Discussing the lesson in prayer circle is next. Join us live or on Zoom immediately following this lesson. If you've got biblical questions, ask the pastor. Pastor at BarahMinistries.com. Keep on studying the Word of God. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.